Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now that will be your testimony again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, can you prophesy to somebody on your left and your right and tell the person that will be your testimony? Somebody else. Make sure you do to at least four people. At least four people that that will be your testimony today. In the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's, um, of course, we'll open our Bibles again. Uh, that's what we are doing. We are studying the scriptures. And we have been looking at um, the issue of change. What exactly um, we need to do to get uh, the change that we desire. Yes. Let's start from Psalm 45. I'm going to read um, a long portion, even though what I really want is really verse 7, but I'm going to just read so that we'll get a bit of Bible reading to commence. And my heart overflows the good theme. I will address my verses to the king. My tongue is a pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Get your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your splendor and in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. He said, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and alloys and cashier. Out of ivory palaces, strength instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from offer. Now I'm going to stop reading there, okay? Now like I said at the beginning, the main verse I wanted to get from there is verse 7, where he says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Now that's a verse that I want to emphasize them, but of course, we're going to say a number of things, so we'll get into talking about that in details. Oh, no, let me even pick it from there. There was something we said at the beginning, and I feel like we've started again, you know, trying to emphasize it again. And that's the fact that um, we have a risk in this life. We are in the world, and therefore the world tends to creep into the church. It's a major risk. Everything in life has its risks. And one of the things about succeeding in life is to manage the risks of life appropriately. What am I going to explain? 
if you are surrounded by the world, if you are not careful after a while, their values will become your values. That's just the way it works. Are you getting my point? That's why you have to be careful. That's why he says you have to be careful that these things don't slip away from you. It gets to a point in time, what the world values, you start valuing it. And the things that are supposed to make you angry, you don't notice that they are bad anymore. That's what they call worldliness. Worldliness is when you start having the standards of the world as your own. When the things that are important to them become the things that are important to you. That is real worldliness. Okay? We start thinking like the world. And it's a risk. Let me just emphasize it. It will happen to you naturally unless you actively prevent it from happening. You, listen, <laughs> you can't help it. It's, you know, don't think you're a superman. That's why the Bible says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. The natural thing is that you will fall. So you have to take heed specially that you don't fall. That's why the sins, like somebody said, anything you find in an environment, look carefully. It's likely to have crept into the church. And if you see a sin in the church, you look around, you probably will see it in the environment. You know, it's just a natural thing. That's what the, that's the principle of washing of feet. That is, you know, the concept of washing of feet, what you read in the Bible, is that, you know, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Now, what they used to do those days is simple. If you are coming to a house, the roads were not tarred like our own, you know. Okay. Our, which roads? Our own roads are not even completely tarred anyway. But people walked around a lot. That's the point. And the environment, they didn't have tarred roads. So if you moved a bit, by the time you get to where you are going, your feet will be dusty already. So if you are stepping into a house, one of the, last, the first things you do is to wash your feet at the door. And rich people used to have servants that washed the feet of people. You know, they just stand at the door. Once you just come, they wash your feet for you. All right? Now, so that was what Jesus was doing for the disciples when they washed their feet. Now, but there's something that was understood to them. And that's the fact that, see, okay, no, Peter came to him and said that when he wanted to wash the feet of Jesus, Peter, Peter said, don't bother. You, you, I mean, you are too senior to wash my feet. And I said, no, I have to wash your feet, otherwise you don't have any part of me and all of that. Peter now said that not only my feet then, if it's so important, just go, go give me a bath. <laughs> you understand? So Jesus now said to him that, look, he, the person that has been washed, if you've had a bath, you don't need any other washing apart from your feet. Now, the point about feet is this. As you move around, you pick up dust from around. Even though you are basically a clean person, you move around, you pick up dust. So you need to have your feet washed periodically. And it's a spiritual thing about it. And let me just quickly drop this. That is why you can't stay alone as a believer and not have other Christians around you. Your feet will be very dirty. Do you get my point? Spiritually speaking. is the other Christians that often tell you, little boy, your feet are no good. And as the, you know, you start talking like the world. They point it out to you. You understand? You know, once one of our brothers, he abandoned us, you know, and um, they didn't hear from him again. So one brother went to look for him. I know the question he asked him. He said, now that you have left us, we don't have a problem, okay? I'm just curious about one thing. Who are now your friends? I need to know. I, 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 you know it's not as if you're not paying us to, to be with us, all right? We have we valued your presence. We valued your friendship. But now that you have gone, now I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being. And so I want to know who are the people that are influencing you now. He didn't have an answer for that. And if you don't have an answer, you always get into trouble. Say, oh, why am I emphasizing this? You can't help it. You can't help it. Sorry, please. I'm not trying to fight anybody. I just want to explain something again. That's why if you are sending your children far from home, you should be concerned about those who are washing their feet. 
It should be. You can't send a 17-year-old to go to school because you have money and you want to give me a brilliant future. You send him to a school where they say there is no God because it's abroad. And you're not concerned. It shows that you don't, you don't, you say, I want to talk about that today. It shows you don't value the things that are important in life. You should be concerned. Who's washing his feet? Who's washing her feet? Who will tell her, no, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't join those people. No, they have bad intentions. Because young people, all of us in life until we have been wounded, we have, we are generally trusting. Oh, we check your doctrines, your practices, your behaviors. I hope you're getting my point. That's why you should be you should be concerned about it. Who's going to be watching? I know you know. Say no. I know how I trained my child. We know how you trained him. We know you're a good man. You raise them up every day, studying the word of God, praying, and all of that. We know that. But we are saying that even though they've been washed, their feet will get dirty. Who is going to be washing? His or her feet, that's the question we're asking you. You want to wash it on, you know, with your phone calls? No, of course, it doesn't work. Now that, like I said, that just by the way, I'm just dropping that one, okay, by the way. So the point I was making is this. We get, um, how do I say it? Things slip away from us. That's the principle of washing of feet. So that's why Jesus said your feet have to be washed. And I know some of our denominations, we do physical Washing of feet. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not commenting on it, but that's not the real thing that I believe just was trying to explain to us there. The point is that you have to keep yourself unstained from the world. They constantly sprinkle their dust on you. Just by being alive, it happens. Just by interacting with them on a daily basis, it will happen. What you now need to do is make sure that your feet are constantly washed. That's why you cannot forsake the gathering together of brethren. You can't. That's one way by which God keeps you clean. We know you are born again. I hope you're getting my point. We know you have given your life to Christ. But you get easily stained by the world, except you constantly cleanse yourself. And what happens is this. People just keep on giving you suggestions, ideas. It just flows around. You discuss with people. They drop a thought in your mind. One of the things that, in fact, I was praying about something today. And I told the Lord that what, I, that what upsets me most about this whole thing is when people plant themselves in my mind. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's what I find very upsetting. When people plant thoughts in your head, they plant ideas in your head. You don't like the thought, so, but it's been dropped. So we Christians, I just want to emphasize, we have to be careful. Sometimes one of the ways they push things into our heads is to constantly, you know, talk about it. In fact, somebody talked about the LGBT agenda. Some time ago, you know, some of you may have read it, you know, it was circulating around a bit about the strategy they use. The first look, that is, they don't care whether you agree or not. Just talk about it. So they come, they generate, they deliberately generate controversy. They ge- deliberately generate something to make you talk. You know, they will do something crazy just to put their talk in the news, in the media, on social media. Just be talking about gay, lesbian, transgender. Just talk about it. What they just want is that by the time you've talked about it for 10 years, 15 years, you will have children that will grow up thinking it's normal talk. That's what they're trying to achieve. They don't expect you to agree. Look, they know you can't change your mind. They just want you to help them talk about it. Again, by the way, that's why it's not everything... You read, you forward. Sometimes you are playing to the people's plans. You are falling for it. You think you are warning against it. 
There was one that came up with it. From three different child groups, I got the same thing about new pranks that children are now playing. Warn your children about it. Most of these are our children you are talking about don't even know it's going on. But now the parents are going to distribute the information to all of them. So I told him, I said, why are you the one? He said, I want to warn them. Forget it. They are, they are okay. This warning is a way by which they will now know the bad things. You kill their innocence in some things. The point I'm making is that, so you see, that's what the world does. Sometimes. They just keep talking about something. They talk about, they will talk about it so much that at the end of the day, it just stays on your mind. So as, as you go around in life every day, thoughts are being dropped in your head. Some people, they don't even know anything that the president has done wrong. But they've had him being insulted every day. They now think it's normal. When you wake up in the morning, you should insult your elders. Just, just because he's a president or he's a governor, you must insult him. It's your elder, but it doesn't matter. You've heard everybody do it so much. You, you know, a lot of children think that it's, insulting the head of state is not insult. They won't, they won't insult their father, but they will insult the head of state, who is like 40 years older than their father. And they don't think anything of it. Why? The society taught them. Do you get my point? So we have to be careful. You have to every day check your values. Every day you have to check your thoughts, your system, to be sure you are not conformed to the world. Because it happens. We easily get conformed. The truths that we know easily slip away from us. They easily slip away from us. We have to deliberately, deliberately reinstitute those things in our hearts. I was talking about values. Our value systems. What is important to us? What do we call success? What do we call failure? Every day, the world teaches us something that is their own. There are pastors who still feel as if they have failed, except they've built a house. Where did that thought come from? It's worldliness. It's worldliness. Christians still judge whether a, good, a church is good or bad. Christians, by the kind of car the pastor drives. Where did that thought come from? It's worldliness. I went to the bank some years ago. Not now. Years ago. Not now. I walked in, and the young banker there saw me. He said, Pastor Banke, I greeted him back. What are you doing here? In my mind, what, are you, what am I supposed to be doing here? This is not a bank. He said, you come to the bank? I said, why not? Do you know he was shocked that I come to the bank? And I was wondering, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with me coming to the bank? He said, don't I have boys who do such things for me? You know, I was surprised. You like, eh? No, 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 no. That, you know what he said? He said, with all this radio broadcast, everything you are up to, yes, you see, come to the bank. I knew that that boy, I hope he's not called to ministry because he's lost already. He has not started the ministry. He's already lost. He needs to be corrected. And what I'm telling you is not to do. If he's recent, if he's recent, it's six years ago. He was alive. So I thought to myself, so what if he finds me in the filling station with shots at night? Because once in a while, I go to buy fuel. Maybe the, uh, uh, in the house, we want to put on the generator, they say, ah, or the, the, the gen is low of fuel. I look at the time. <laughs> it's 9 p.m. And if this, if this public power does not come back, I will not sleep. I will take my car, wear my knicker, and drive to any finish I see open. Come out with my fuel jerrycan and stay there. I, I keep remembering that young banker. I say, what if he comes here now <laughs> and sees me? This one that I dressed nicely and went to a banking hall. He had a problem with it. What if it's me wearing my khaki? <laughs> kind of way, can. Now, but where do all those thoughts come from? Worldliness. 
there are things I read in the scriptures, I realized I had the opposite thoughts all my life. They start praying, and your thoughts you thought they were good. So I started, you know, of course, anytime I encounter things like that, once I encounter something like that, I, I start praying. Sometimes we look at, I've seen people do it before. I, I'm not saying they meant bad, I just want to say it happened. I was in a church once, a, a, a function actually, a big pastor came there to preach. Maybe what he was trying to say was right, I don't know, but I just want to bring out something from it. So he said, look, what are the people looking for? All the cars they are driving, I have them in my house. I also have a nice house too. We were just describing that what, these things people are looking for, he also has them. Following the Lord is not bad. That's what, what, that's what he was trying to say. Of course, we, we liked it then, but later on I realized that, hmm, no, that's not what the Bible teaches as Christianity, actually. In Christianity, we brag on, on the opposite things. That whatever things were gained to me, do you get my point? That is our bragging. The one day I read in my Bible that Paul was leaving Ephesus. And he said, I have coveted nobody's goods. He, when I read that, that was a testimony that Paul shared. That day I turned it to a prayer point. That, you know, they gathered material things and sent to Paul. The church came together and said, let's support this man. They gathered stuff, plenty of it, and gave to Epaphroditus and said, go and meet Paul. Now, they sent not only the goods, but Epaphroditus too was part of the goods. He was not supposed to deliver and come back. He was supposed to stay and minister to Paul. And Paul re- saw everything. He wrote them a letter. He said, I've received everything that you've sent to. The famous Philippians chapter 4 that we quote all the time. He said, I'm not happy for myself. I'm happy for you. Because the truth is that anytime you do a deed of love, there is a blessing attached to it. When I say a deed of love, if you give, not because you want it multiplied. If you want it multiplied, there's no blessing. I hope you understand that. Because that's not a deed of love. It's a deed of what? Selfishness. You, you, you need a hundred thousand. What you have is five thousand. So you take four thousand and sow it as a seed. You are, you, are, you are a gambler. What did I call you? A gambler. You're not a Christian. It's not faith. You're participating in this foolishness that's very popular. The fact that it's popular does not mean it is right. It is not a deed of love. It's a deed of selfishness. You are thinking of yourself. When you brought that money out, you were thinking of you. When you put inside the basket, you were thinking of you. Some will say, send your offering on an, on an errand. You know, we start doing things that show that our heads are not balanced. And we are proud of it. The Bible says the glory, their glory is their shame. Why I keep on repeating these things, even though I know you've heard it from me many times, is because you are hearing the opposite also every day. I'm washing your feet. That's feet washing. It is not a deed of love. But anytime you do a deed of love, there's a great blessing to it. That, that um, Shunammite woman, honored God by honoring that prophet. I perceive this the holy man of God. And they asked, what do you want us to do for you? She did not say, man of God, pray for me. She did not say, now that you have eaten my venison, you can bless me. You know, we take one thing that happened to us, turn it into a, you know, a useless doctrine. One brother had problems. He came to see a pastor. So when it was time to go in, the secretary said, I hope you brought a good seed. So the guy, the, guy said, the guy said to the lady, I don't understand. He said, no, you have to have a good seed in your hand to provoke the blessing. <laughs> you know, the guy turned away from there. He didn't go in. He left. He said, no, I came because there's no seed in my life right now. <laughs> he, he turned back and left. He said, there's no seed right now. 
I'm having so many problems. I'm looking for who will pray for me and counsel me. You now say if I don't bring something, he can't pray. So the guy packed his things. I'm telling you literally, he left. I heard the story because later on somebody brought him to my friend, who's also a pastor. That there's a pastor that will pray for you. You don't need a seed. So, <laughs> so somebody had told him about the guy before. That's my friend. So he said, okay, let him come. She said, the day they arrived, he saw through the window, saw them trying to arrange some things together. He just smiled. When they came in, he talked with the man, prayed for him as he was about to leave. You know, it's not every time you collect gifts. He told him, don't worry, go with it. I'm like, what? Don't worry. He just told me that there are issues. Don't worry. I'm giving the money to you. Go and spend it on your business. That was surprised. He said, don't worry. When he starts bearing seed, then you can bring it that time. Bearing fruit. Don't worry. Not now. And it wasn't like he didn't accept offerings. He did. He just said, no, this man has been, his mind has been twisted. Which was the same reason I suspect that Elisha refused what Naaman brought. Now, so, when they did the, the good deeds, the deeds of love, he said, God will bless them. That's Paul. Now, what I'm, why I'm referring to it is that the man said, I'm not concerned about myself. Whether I have little or I have plenty, is the same as far as I'm concerned. He said, I can do all things. That is, I can use little and get the same result. Get, you have plenty and enjoy it. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. When I read that from Paul, I said, my father, this is the kind of testimony I want. This is the kind of testimony I want. I don't want the testimony of, no, I cannot preach three services except the prophet's offering is good. I don't want that testimony. No, little, little, little by little, you know, we, we make a bad thing into a habit. It's a bad thing. We don't know why we're making it into a habit. It's worldliness. That's what I'm going to emphasize. I said something last time. God is looking for people, let me put it this way, who are not worldly. They don't take their standards from the world. Please, let's get, you know, because that's the problem we have. Churches measure success are caught using the world as parameters. The most successful churches, they are, is the size of the cathedral. The number of people that gather and how, what have they achieved materially? And then the one that we, we now, as a group, now bought, which God will have to forgive us, is how much of our good deeds are we plastering on television? The world will harass us, harass us that with all the money we have. What are we doing for the society? Then because of that, we'll go out and do some things and pharisaically, yeah. oh, we like my English. That one is correct, I know. Who pharisaically carry television cameras and zoom in on it, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it, you know, get newspaper people to come and cover it, you know? Why? You know, bishops, so and so and so, and the church did a widow's outreach. They give scholarships to, to orphans. And they distributed the one that would do that, make me distribute a rapper and 5,000 naira to 2,000 widows. We'll now put it on television and go just, you know, I guess my Jesus just like this. Embarrassment. <laughs> we just embarrass the Lord like that. Now, the point I'm talking, making from it is that we, we, the world taught that to us. They told that like, this one, this is a real man of God. Can you see how he's giving food to the poor? And the joke I have in mind, we're marching in front and carrying the rice 
and shoving it by himself. I said, God has to have hellfire. There's no need. There's no, look, listen, listen. He has to smoke people. You can't do him like this and you won't want to burn somebody. Oh, one of my classmates, named Chris, said, he said, Banky, I hope there are different grades in hellfire because this is our other guy. I can't be in the same place with him. Hellfire will be bad. <laughs> I did my own section of hellfire. <laughs> the Lord is good. And then we see that the man, has, the man is getting more popular by the day. Because every way time he will put... The other day they said people came back from, uh, is it Liberia? No, Libya. He gathered all of them. He would teach them a few songs. Those ones, of course... Now that's the 20,000 naira or 50,000 naira. Now show it on television. And the rest of us will be intimidated. They will now start, co- see that's it. The world has taught us something. We will now start copying the world. Something that Jesus expressly, directly said we must not do. He said we must never do our good works to earn praise from people. He said do it secretly. And he gave us a, 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 an expression to, to emphasize how Private, it should be. Say, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's not something you do for show. Yet we read that and deliberately close our eyes to that. Simply because, now that, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about it. The world taught us something. I've heard, of course, I've not heard it in recent time, but those days I've heard, people used to say it. See, before they go into ministry, these are people who say they are called to ministry. Before they go into ministry, they will first start a business. The business will be doing well. They need to be earning them enough money to sustain themselves. Why? So that nobody would think they came to ministry because of money. The person I have in mind, he said that to me 30 something years ago. Till today. Till today, we are talking about, he has not entered that ministry. Nothing. He's not in the ministry at all. Why were we saying things that are simple? It's pride. We don't think it's pride, though, but it's pride. Let nobody think I came to this ministry to come and make money. Did they send you on an errand? They can think what they want to think. The master who sent the people out said to them, take no purse. Take no money belt. Don't greet any man on the way. Just go. Any place you get to, Look for somebody whose word is there. Can I stay in your house? I have come to preach the gospel. Say, if somebody whose word is there, they will let you in. Say, eat whatever they give you. Say, the laborer, listen to this, is worthy of his wages. Paul said, I magnify my office, but would rather be ashamed of the office. Why? Worldliness, that's the point I'm making. We have worldly thinking. Worldly thinking. This man's ministry has paid him very well. Why? Uh, he's, he has built a duplex. He now has a car, uh, two cars, and the children are going to expensive schools. Yeah, that ministry is good. You know, today I was reading my Bible. Was it today? Which day was it? Somebody said last week, were you there? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you are thinking in your mind. Why did you ask me? You knew I was not there. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is good. I think it was yesterday or today. I just, I just sat down. I just opened my Bible at random. I had a few minutes. I said, let me just read something. And I went to the book of Revelation. You know, something struck when I got there. There was something that um, 
John said, reading the New Living Translation, just to explain something here, that the original, don't go open to it, chapter 14. So then the third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast, now follow this, and his statue, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. Anyone, Christian or Muslim or pagan. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. For they have worshipped, I just jumped a few words, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Now listen to this. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their, their faith in Christ. That's Revelation chapter 14. Verses 9 to 12. That is, you know what Paul wrote to Timothy? He said they must endure what? Hardship. Sometimes I hear people complain about maybe the country that I just look and said, Do you think about destiny? Do you realize that one day you are literally going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for your life? Don't you read the Bible? Don't you read that Paul said, Demas has departed from me because he fell in love with this present age? Don't you read the Bible? That it makes it clear that anyone who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. Don't you read the scriptures that it says that occupy until I come. That is, I've given you something to do. I like the word occupy, even though it's not, no, modern English is not the best, but I just like the word occupy. That is, occupy the place. Do you follow my point? Occupy it. Occupy a particular place until I come. Don't you realize that when God comes looking for people, he will look for them where he kept them, not where they went to. Did you not know where Adam and Eve were? Why was he saying, where are you? It's simple. He went to where they were supposed to be. They were not there. He went to that place. He went to that place and stood there and called for them. I you getting my point here. It was where he kept them, he went to look for them. Sometimes I think about it, I think it's like if Christians often don't remember that they were actually purpose, now can I use this expression? They were purpose built. Purpose built. That is, they didn't come by chance. They are not a product of accident. God said, I need something done somewhere. So I'm going to prepare for me a man. I'm going to prepare for me a woman. And they are going to do something for me. But I give them the opportunity to say I will not do it. If you see the parables of Jesus, say a man had two sons. And he said to them, the one, go to the farm and go and work. And he allowed that one to say no or yes. Do we realize that with every decision we make every day, with every action we take, we're either saying yes or no to a divine plan. Sometimes, you, know, you know, I keep on coming back to this particular point. Now, when we talk about the will of God, the will of God, I say, look, forget these voices you hear. I've had people report to me all kinds of voices they heard. And as I was praying, the Lord, the Lord now said to me, home that told me something was, okay, maybe I don't know whether you've counseled with younger Christians. You know, they finish talking. The person sitting on your left. Pay sitting on your left or your right. You, you want to do like this, you know? You want to use your elbow <laughs> and bloody his nose. 
that how can you, an adult, be that stupid? Even if God said this to you, wouldn't you tell God, show me your ID card? <laughs> Let's just be sure it is you. Because what you have told me is against every other thing that you've written down. And of course, a lot of times when Christians don't want you to talk, that's when they say things like that. You want to say, why are you doing something that's so off? They have to blame it on somebody. It is God that said. I've heard all kinds of God told me that it hardly impresses me these days. Hardly. I must say it never does because I know God speaks to people. When you're talking about the will of God, listen, the first thing about the will of God is to have the right thinking, you know, system. To have the right thinking system. Like I just give an example now. For example, you know life has a purpose. Life has a purpose. All other things are added so you can fulfill that purpose. It doesn't mean people don't travel up and down. I'm not saying they will never have to travel. But the traveling is what? Based on purpose. Just having that thought alone, you have, listen to what I want to say. 75% of discovery of the plan of God for your life has been achieved. Just having the thought alone. I'm not talking about knowing the truth about your own specific situation. But just knowing that God is not, you are not, your life is not random. And you have to stay in a particular place at a particular time because that's what God wants. According to the plan he has made for your life, just having that background thought in your mind alone has dragged you to at least 70%, down at least 70% of the road to knowing the perfect will of God for your life. Unfortunately, a lot of us want to have the zero along that line. Having wrong thoughts, say I must build a house first, I have to take care of my younger ones. You know, I have a lot of stories, you know, good ones. Again, again, whether it's good or bad to the average ear does not make it right. Some of the reasons why we disobey God are very good reasons for an average person, you know, an average person that hears it. The day I understood that was when a friend of mine came to see me years ago in Lagos. Long ago, of course. I've been in Ugu now for how many years? This is be 20 years, end of this year, that I came to Enugu. Can you believe that? Yeah, clap for me now. Yeah, go on. See your hand doing there. <laughs> Yeah, 20 years. You know, it, it's amazing how time flies. It's amazing. You know, time just just enters a jet and starts flying. 20 years ago, this year, it's, it's 19 plus now. I came in September, actually. All right? So this was before then. So my friend came to my house in Luton. He was moving to South Africa at that time. He was leaving the country. And so, of course, we're childhood friends. Okay? So we're not been in contact for, I mean, for a long time now. But, of course, we're family friends also. So we know each other's no motions, but we've not been talking for a long time. So that he, he came to my apartment to see me, and uh, we just you know, caught up on G's and all of that, and he told me he was traveling abroad. And so I just wanted to know why. That was when he explained the pressures that are there that I was not aware of, family issues and all of that, and that how somebody has to come up with the money somewhere along the line, and he realizes that being the first son is going to be his issue. So now said to me that, no, you know, you are lucky now. You've already gone far because he's also a medical person. I've already gone far in this job. So I was doing my training at that time that he's just starting. So he needs to go and pursue and get the money because eventually the money will be needed. All my life, up to that point, I've been talking the will of God, the plan of God, the calling of God. I've been saying it. It's been part of my life. 
That was the day I realized how selfish and unthinking I was. I realized I had not thought about other people, relatives, parents, you know, brothers and sisters, that I had just been concerned about the friend of God. Ah, after he left, I laid down. I didn't know I knew how to cry like that. Ah, I started praying and crying. I'm, I'm not kidding, no. I cried. This guy just came and gutted me, you know, like hit me one in the, you know, it, it was bad. I laid down there. See, I was crying like, God, how could I be this stupid? Because I was, at that point, I was poor and everybody around me could feel my poverty. If, are you getting my point? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have anything to give. And I shared a little I had with people, but I didn't have. And I realized that I wasn't concerned because if me, I've heard my story many times. Those days, I knew that 15th of every month, it's around the 15th now today. I don't know whether it's 15th, but uh, yeah, around this time, I'm always flat broke. When I say flat broke, don't think I'm kidding. I mean, I just have enough money to get to church and back twice a week till the next salary is paid. My salary used to last 12, uh, two weeks. And so what I did was to buy some food stuff and keep so that when there's no money, there will be small. You can cook beans, you can cook yam. You know, those two always work all the time. <laughs> no, no, if you are stocking too much rice, you need other things to make rice edible. But if you have beans and yam, you just pepper and salt and you're fine. A bit of oil, you're good. Some poor people eating like rich people. What's wrong with you? <laughs> they, you know, some, you see some people, they'll be rich as, eating as if they are rich. Just look at the guy like, you're not serious, though. And some things that should not be found in your house if you uh, be buying mayonnaise. What's wrong with your head? <laughs> you, know, you know they sell margarine where you do? You know here's a margarine spoiled before? You know? That one, you just spread it and it's very high in nutrients, you know? You just, you just see some nonsense. So that time, you know, I had a trick. I used to... Look, I should teach one day again how to survive... Tough times. You want to buy a suit. It has to be black or dark blue. And your shirt must not be 100% cotton. Because 100% cotton is very comfortable and nice on the body. requires constant maintenance and it tears after a while. But when you put like 75% polyester, your grandchildren will wear it. <laughs> That's how I was living my life that time. When my friend now came and said that, and I realized that I'd only been thinking about myself. And I'd learned to endure hardship. I'd not thought about other people that would endure hardship with me. In the midst of my crying and praying, you know, the Lord Jesus does not, uh, you know, you, what, you know how you expect him to comfort you? So you came and said, don't worry. It shall be better. Amen. Us go, ndo, ogadima. That's what you expect from the Lord, Abby. Rub your back. Say, Banky, put your head here. Cry on my knees. You know I love you. I love you like your Pentecostal brethren say. I don't want to do anything that will hurt you. Just know that I'm a faithful God. Don't worry. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you 10000 tomorrow to prove my faithfulness. If that's the Jesus you know, you're not born again yet. The Jesus I know? No. He doesn't do like that. Because what he did to me, I remember very well. He dropped one word in my heart. Strong, clear, wiped that word wiped the tears from my eyes. 
Say so said the man hates his father, mother, brother, and sister. He cannot be my disciple. Make up your mind. I, I, I wiped my, my tears and sat up, said, Lord, I'm your disciple, so forget this thing. Oswald Chambers said, the cost of discipleship, that's, you know, there, there's knowledge that comes from experience. That is, the word is, that is, is rubbed into you through experience. Oswald Chambers says, the cost of discipleship is not what it costs you as a person. He says, it's what it costs the people that you love. That's very easy. And listen, you know the truth? <laughs> All these men that do a lot of evil, let's just put it like that. You know, they realize that when they meet righteous people, they can't threaten them. They threaten their children. They threaten their wife, their wives. Threaten their husbands. Like all these I neck, all these people that go, you go and say you want to write the correct results. They can't bribe you, praise God. We shoot you if you don't cooperate. They know, they know you. So the night before the election, and you are there in your electoral office, they just surround your house and show you a picture of your house. Where your children are doing party and show you the guns they have there and grain they're about to throw inside. Those people, they are that bad. That's the cost of discipleship. It's not to you. It's the people. That I'm quoting Oswald Chambers for you. I hope you're getting my point here. That did When that guy said it, I reacted the way I did. The, the comfort of the Lord was simple. Make up your mind who you want to serve. And you know what I found out? Sometimes, you know, I like one thing um, David Paulson said. He said, when we worry about things so much, we actually saying to God that he cares more about the birds of the air than he cares about his children. What he's saying, is not as if he's not mindful of those things that, you, that concern you. He said, if that's the issue, give that one to me. Let me handle it. You cannot say you want to solve another problem and you abandon that which I have given you to do. I want you to know that I'm trying to just explain something. So when people start telling you stuff like the will of God, the will of God, these are the things you bear in mind before you can start saying that you want to hear God speak to you. Except you have those things in mind. No? Please, remember where I began this from? We have to clean our heads away from worldliness. There's something I preached last time. I feel like going over it again today. If I can finish it again, because I, I feel like we have to explain it properly. All of them, of course, they are joined together. What I'm going to do is to get Christians to approve, like Paul said, the things that are excellent. To seek the things that are above. Because the world has taught us to seek the things that are beneath. And even when we gather in churches, oftentimes we are using God to seek the things that are beneath. Oftentimes, that's what the problem is. Listen to this. A lot of people are living a life of righteousness now. Simply because somebody told them, God will reward it. So if you don't steal, you will get a good job. If you keep yourself as a young woman, you will get a good husband. If you don't lie, you will become another than Gote. So do you know what your problem is? It is the good husbands, the big businesses. That is the reason for their righteousness. Unfortunately, that sacrifice is not acceptable to God. Let's talk real Christianity. And that's why people have been disappointed again and again and again and again. There's one portion of the scriptures, my children and I, we have read it 
We, we know it inside out. Luke chapter 18. Every day, <laughs> every day, we revise the lesson in there. The way we normally do it, that's okay. So Luke chapter 18, what are the two parables? They will remind me the first parable is the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. Second parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, second one, I, okay, we'll now go over the lessons of each one. In the second one I want to talk about it again. I said, what is the lesson in the second one? We don't operate pride in prayer. We come to prayer in humility. What do you mean by that? One man says, the Pharisee, he said, I have done this. I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week. That is basically, you will do good to me because I have done righteousness. Wrong way to pray. Wrong way to pray. Very wrong way to pray. We're not talking about prayer now. We're talking about the motivation for the doing of good. For the reward that you produce on the earth, error. Listen, I have been deputized by God to tell everybody this. He will not reward it, if you are thinking like that. One woman who I saw, she was giving a lecture in a church in Lagos. I saw the video. It blessed me so much. I never even expressed it like that before until I heard her say it. She said, she was teaching Christians, of course, a church, a program. That what gave Christians this impression? That righteousness is supposed to pay. So, you go somewhere, you are doing business. You expect God to reward you the fact that you don't cheat your customers. Okay, let us assume he will not reward you. So what we now do? We start cheating them. Christians oftentimes expect that, listen, other people are inflating jobs. You know, maybe a job is supposed to be for 2.5 million naira. You have to, you pay to 3.5 and settle other people with 500, take 500 extra for you, bribe you. I don't do that as a Christian. So God will give me more jobs. God said, I'm not going to tie the two together. That's what I want to emphasize to believers. We read from that Psalm 75 and Psalm 45 to emphasize that point. That he said in that verse 7, that you have loved righteousness. Let's get it clear. We do righteousness because we love righteousness. Please, I need us to get it clear again because the word every day, you know, they teach us everything has to have a, a deliberate reward. And then what we start doing what is right, that's exactly what we are waiting for again. Also, again, that's why people get discouraged. They think, they have served God, have served God, have served God, have served God. That's why people get you know, discouraged. Because sometimes, you know, at the back of our hearts, you know, we need to keep on, like I said, washing our feet. Digging these things out and cleaning, cleaning them out of our hearts entirely. Sometimes at the bottom of our hearts, you know, it's a secret thing. We come to pray. We expect that now that I have, that, that I, because look at that, I've done my business the last five years. Look at how I've done my business the last eight years. There's no way God will not do something for me more than he's done, done for the unbelievers. So many of us get discouraged. I remember there's a relative of mine I was talking with once. He said, other people are doing this one, but they are building houses now. I said, it's wrong. I said, but they are building houses. Let me say it to you again. <laughs> No matter the house you build on this earth, one day it will be destroyed. Now, no matter the church, I hope you know, all these churches we are building will still be destroyed too. Jesus will show no partiality. Now, let me say something. There can be judgment against a house built with money of iniquity, which it destroys, it, it, it collapses on its own. Unique judgment, only you judgment, and that kind of thing. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm saying even the houses built with righteous money, used to serve the purpose of God, one day it will still go away. 
Let's get down to one. I just, you know, I said something last time that God was it Tuesday or Saturday. I said it that God is not solving temporal problems. What is solving is what eternal problems. You know the truth. Many of us in life, we are suffering disappointments again and again, frustrations again and again, because God wants to get us to the point where all we will enjoy is that we have done righteousness. And I narrated this to us when it happened last year. One brother came to me, went for my convention. Actually, his company was hired to do something for us. But he happened to be, of course, a Christian, so he came. And he came to speak with me. Told me about how he served God in school. He was a campus fellowship president. And it was none of those fellowships that, you know, they have students like maybe a thousand on Sunday when they gather. And he's the boss. Now, let me tell you some of the righteous things he did. One, said they are leaders, that is people in his position before him. Many of them will be driving cars by the time they have done with one year, two years of campus fellowship presidents. They will have money. And there's a particular man of God that's very popular. If I mention his name in this country, many of us will know. He was a regular invited guest. But when he was in charge, he felt something was wrong with the way the man did things, and he stood against him and did not invite him. He stood against the, the thing and did not invite the man. The man did not come to their fellowship under his tenure. He stood for righteousness' sake. So I was waiting to hear the problem. At this point in time, he was somewhere far into his NYSE. He was working with that particular small company that came to do that stuff for us. So I now asked him, so you've told me a lot of things. So what is the problem? So like, till now, God has done nothing for him. I looked at him. I said, excuse me, please, I want to ask you a question. No, he told me that his friends, he's a young guy. A lot of his friends are into this uh, Yahoo thing, internet fraud and all of that. And that if I give him one week, is it one week or two weeks he told me on the computer, that he'll make a millionaire, that he knows how to do it. So I was looking at him. So when he finished, and I said, okay, so what exactly is it? Because right now you've not told me anything. You've told me the stories of your life. What is the problem? See, right now, God has not done anything for him. I looked at him. I said, like what? You're not dead. God has not done anything for you. You are alive. You are breathing. God has not done anything for you. I said, my brother, come. I'm waiting for the thing special that you did, that anybody should do anything for you in return. I like the way he responded. It was very funny. He said, ah, daddy. <laughs> he was shocked what I said. I said, what have you done that is deserving of reward. I just want to see it. You did not steal, so you should be rewarded. You did not cheat, so you should be rewarded. Other people are setting themselves up for the premature death. You did not join, so you should be, re- you should be rewarded. I look at the young man. I said, I think, I told him, I said, your generation is spoiled, ruined, wrecked. They can't think straight again. You did righteousness and you should get paid? As I was talking, he kept on saying, ah, daddy, ah, ah. I said, whoever lied to you, lies to you. I said, you've done nothing worthy of commendation. You've done nothing that is beyond the normal. Paul said, if I preach the gospel, necessity was laid upon me. I deserve nothing. I was created to preach the gospel. That was when he told them that he would offer it. He said, what extra thing can I do beyond that? which I was called to do, I will offer it at no charge, even though the laborer is worthy of his wages. He said, but no, I will not do that. 
So that is the only thing I've done that's a bit beyond what I was called to do. He said, as for preaching, he said, I was born to preach. My mother conceived me so I will be an apostle to the nations. So you see me being beaten, going up and down. He said, no, 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 no. There's no reward. Go and read the Bible. He said, there's no reward for that. Ah. I told the young man that day, I said, sorry. I'm sorry. You deserve nothing. Because you've done nothing. You have just lived as a godly young man should live. I don't see why God owes you anything. How old are you? I can't remember what he told me. Well, of course, he's in his 20s, early 20s. You have a job you are doing? Like you are here now, he said yes. You have a place you live? If I told me the miraculous way by which he got that place, the person was working with just, when he saw he had some skill, offered him accommodation because of his skill. So you have a place to stay, and you are saying God has not done anything. I said, my friend, go back and go and serve God. I was like, hey. he was, you know what? He, the point was that he was shocked. What am I preaching again today? I'm preaching to the end that those who are listening to me will start learning righteousness and start loving righteousness for the sake of righteousness. It's not a tool. That's why we think we can quote it for God. If you give money, you don't deserve thank you. Thank you is just courtesy. It's pure courtesy. You help the needy. Is it your money? Jesus said, there is none good but God. Every time good is done by your hands, you are, you are just a tool. You have yielded yourself as a vessel for God to use. You know, sometimes I see money in my hand, you know, maybe just I'm accounting money. I just look and I laugh. I said, this money, did I, wait, did I print it? No. Did I work for it? Know the truth? The answer is no. <laughs> you say, okay, what person, I didn't work for it. Let me tell you what I mean, I didn't work for it. I knew when I was working. I don't work anymore. If I the things that take most of my time that don't pay me money. You should have been there when I was working. You should have been there when I was working. Think I'm working now? Sometimes I go to my office in, 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 in the teaching hospital and I laugh. I say, oh boy. You know, I, I joke with people. I say, oh boy, it's good to be a big man now. <laughs> Literally, people who earn half of my pay, they work five times than I do, five times more than I do, and it's for me they are doing it. I'll be on the phone. Jump. They say, how high, sir? <laughs> they will do everything. And I earn three, four, five times for the end. And they spend all the energy. They come late, I will shout. If I don't come at all, they can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know when I was earning for money? Working for money? I will teach. Now, we have six lecturers. I alone, we teach two classes side by side. Then they dragged me at Newa, I should come and be teaching them. I told my guy, I said, Oga, Newa is too far. Finally, he said, no, no. He said, look. He, said, look. he calls me Bankole. He said, Bankole, you're making my work difficult. I said, excuse me, sir. It's a great distance. It's okay. Give me your CV while you are thinking about it. Then one day, gave and gave me an appointment letter as part-time lecturer at Namdia Zikwe University. I said, excuse me, sir. I saw the salary. I said, sir, 20,000 naira to be driving this distance. He said, okay, no, we'll do something about it. He dragged me to the registrar. I said, excuse me, I don't understand. 
I can't take this money. Do you know how far Enugu is? She said the flat that that's what they can pay. In my mind, you're talking as if I'm begging for the job. Look at the man who's making me come to work for him. My brethren, out of respect for an elder, I would drive to Nim every week. One day, I almost, my car almost drowned in Oka. When I came out from that distance, my water pump packed up. I checked the water pump with the money I spent on the car, one whole stipend, go. That was when I, one day one of my colleagues said, the work you are doing for us is the work of God. Because when he saw the amount of effort, <laughs> so one day I went to Newey, at one professor there, I told him, okay, this is not good though. He said, okay, you know what you will do? We will improve the pay. Eh? What you will do is that you will now offer services to the hospital there. We will be able to negotiate with the CMD so you can now. Look at the man. That's okay. Maybe you don't have a young wife in any way. If I use all this energy going up and down to any what will I use on my wife? You're not serious. I don't know, I'm going home. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> Nonsense. So the one I'm doing now is not enough for extra pay. I have to do more. That time, man. What I'm trying to say. So this is when I just think about it. Sometimes I just get when I just smile. I said, now, nah, wow, this, this world is not fair at all. It is good. You know, the Bible says it's good for a young man to bear his body in the day of his youth. Brethren, I bore body, no. <laughs> what am I trying to say? For that reason, I've recognized money is not really a reward for the effort you put in. It's a gift of God. 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 We don't need to start analyzing it for that. It's a gift of God. You are any plenty. You are not the smartest. You just have a responsibility. You're not the smartest. God has just given you a duty to do that the person who doesn't end that does not have. That's why, you know, all this, everybody, tight, tight, did this one, this one. I don't believe in the church. Everybody should be given the same amount of money, the same proportion. I don't believe in it. I teach you the word of God. Go and do what God lays upon your heart. One of our brothers told me once, very, very interesting we analyzed it. <laughs> he works in a place where they don't pay for DSTV. That's cable TV they don't pay. Technically, their housing is free. If I told him, he said, because of his rank, if you see his house, beautiful house, he said, because of his rank, they give him money that this house is actually lower than his rank. And the one appropriate for his rank is not available. So they pay him. Healthcare, 100% free. Primary school, 100% free. He said, I have colleagues who live in another city. They have to pay their own house rent, pay this, pay that, pay that. He said, if that person is tight and I tight, I will tie the same amount as we go in the same salary. He said, is it fair? I've heard some pastors even preach funny things like, uh, you calculate your tight on your salary before tax. How can you pay government before you pay God? You know, legalism will destroy all of us. Let's not do <laughs> Legalism, it will destroy all of us. All of us. You've not heard that one before? Oh, they will say, listen, you have to calculate your tithe on your pre-tax income. Otherwise, you are paying the government before you pay God. <laughs> and, it's, and people... <laughs> and people were sounding so, amen. One day I was in church. One brother was in front, was preaching one of those funny doctrines. 
He said, the Bible said, bring the whole tithe. Some of you are not paying the whole tithe. I want to get to that tithe. That's how I go to look. Say, they don't come again. I mean, I, 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 I'm ready for all of you. He said, the last time somebody dashed to a shirt, did you tighten it? I like, eh. He said, the whole tithe, anything people give you, you check the value. So anybody that gives Solomon Pampas, we are going to go. I <laughs> you too. I'm collecting. If they give him Pampas to his wife too, born like five days ago. Oh yes, it's burning season. Amen. <laughs> Don't worry, another few weeks we'll go, one by one. Amen. Praise God. So all the tithes of the Pampas we are coming to collect. Can you the bring Pampas? I post just record them. <laughs> <laughs> the man said, So that is the whole tithe. One brother before me said, Hmm, that is true. I jam my very quiet. I said, My friend, stop that. I, immediately. I said, My friend, that's legalism. He kept quiet. For those of you who don't know, one of our brothers here, he said, One day to me, he said, Sir. God used you to deliver me. He said I was a working accountant. As a young man, they taught him the whole time. If you give him lift, he go check how much I get they collect from here to here normally. Two hundred naira. I said, I'm got twenty. <laughs> if you buy him coke, he said, how much is a bottle of coke? Hundred naira. They owe God ten naira. Federal government has a word for it. It's called value added tax. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, listen, that's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. A lot, <coughs> the Lord is good. A lot of us, why we do such things is that we still think that we do righteousness for what it brings. And that's what I'm teaching today again. For us to just learn that, you see, we must be converted to that point where we learn that righteousness is where God is trying to get to and stop. I don't know what I get my point. Righteousness is not a way by which he will bring forth a blessing. No. What is producing in us is what? Righteousness. Once he has done that, final. The work is done. So, I'm teaching again today that we must learn to rejoice in that we did what? Righteousness. Whether it pays or it doesn't pay. You know, there's something we said last time. Let me connect it now. Last time I explained something very important. That when God wants to bet something on the earth, we calculated it in three days. It's because he said so, not because of my own thoughts. He told them in Exodus chapter 19 that, get yourself ready today and tomorrow. On the third day, I'm going to come down. And when John the Baptist was coming, I explained it, that John was preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I've left, I feel like emphasizing it again. John did not promise... Now, that's the point I want you to understand. John did not promise anything apart from a warning that the kingdom of God was at hand. He said we have to be prepared for God's kingdom. What did they understand as the kingdom of God? The Messiah was going to come and reign over them. So, the people were preparing 
for that reign of the king. The people were preparing for the reign of that Messiah. The people were preparing for the coming of God's king. That's what they were preparing for. They did not know he will heal the sick. They did not know he will raise the dead. Even though it's accurate in the scriptures, but they didn't know. What John did was just to pour a spirit of contrition upon them. The people were just contrite for their sins. Last time we calculated that for more than, did we say 10? That John was baptizing. And people were not getting any miracles. We quoted from what John said in, in chapter 10, that even though John the Baptist did not do any miracle or mighty work, what made him a credible prophet was that everything he said about Jesus was true. And he was recorded as the greatest of all the prophets. The greatest of all men born of women. John the Baptist was recorded as much. Yes, yet he did not do miracles. Now listen to this. So everybody that went into the wilderness did not go into the wilderness to get miracles. But listen to this. Once they went in and got baptized, they were open for the miracles that Jesus began to do when he came. So much that a man was on his own. Did not know who Jesus was. The Lord Jesus walked up to him and said, do you want to be made whole? He began to tell stories. He did not know any of the principles of faith that we teach. He did not even know who Jesus was. He didn't, now listen to this, he didn't have any record that Jesus had healed anybody. The woman with the issue of blood heard things about Jesus and said to herself, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. This man didn't say anything like that. Did not know who it was or whether he had a garment or even wore anything at all. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your pallet and walk. Listen to me. And a spirit entered into him and set him on his feet. It was not his energy. If you do the scriptures well enough, he said the man, you know, he, he, he obeyed the word, you know. So anytime you hear the word, you will get up and obey. Listen, what if he's a fool that talks to you? Are you getting my point? Yeah, a charlatan, just walking past. He said, you take up your bed and walk. Can you get up? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Did you know who Jesus was? So Jesus could have been there anybody. So why did he obey? I'll tell you, the answer is very simple. The spirit entered into him and set him on his feet. Or because he was baptized by John. My emphasis again, is why I'm doing all of this talking today, is that, listen to this, I want to say this, let me use the word, almost prophetically. The kingdom of God is at hand. What kind of kingdom, I don't know. But it's coming, and it's coming rapidly. Listen to this, two things. One, for it to come, he said, I need people who love righteousness, so that they are going for the baptism of John. Even though John is promising nothing. I told you a joke the other day. The classmate of mine said, I listen to you on radio, but you are not convincing. He's <laughs> a non-believer. What does it mean by I'm not convincing? He said, you are, don't, you are not teaching us how to hammer fast, fast. You are not teaching us how to make money rapidly. I just there talking, talking, talking. I've been listening for how to... <laughs> how to hit something. And you are not telling me anything. And so, so he said... You know, somebody accused him in our class group that you've been listening to Banky 
and you have not yet changed. He said, banking is not convincing. He says, preaching is not convincing. It doesn't tell us how to hit it fast, how to make money. Listen, yes, an unbeliever. He claims he worships his ancestors. He's a joke as far as I'm concerned. But you know the truth? He reflects how most people... Okay, let me not say points. Yes, how most people behave these days. If you want to do a program, organize a program in a town, and if you want to attract people, what you need to do is tell them how the breakthrough will come. The sick is going to get healed. Millionaires outreach. Breakthrough suddenly. Uzubu, uzubu, now, now. Are you getting my point? When you put everything there, people expect, you know, that's what people expect. You know, I, I had to learn a, a, a principle when I began to, you know, when we began to do programs and I had to decide on topics. I started teaching, I, I, manipulation, I left it out of, yes, topics. It's, I'm not promising anything. So our topics is something like the way of righteousness. Know what God expects of you. Yes, that's how we write in our flyers. How to pray effectively. Nothing more than that. Knowing the plan of God for your life. No, go and check it. Too. That's how we, I just write it simply like that. One day we'll soon do one. If you're a sinner, time to repent. We'll just write it like that. <laughs> no, I, I, I found that there's no point promising what God did not promise. You know what he will do? He will disgrace you. He disgraces people. You know what? Another thing I want to let you know quickly. There's no method of forcing God to do what he has not prepared to do. What you do is prepare for what he has planned to do. I hope you're getting my point. So for the kingdom to come, God says, I need people, now listen to this, in enough numbers who will love righteousness for the sake of righteousness. They are ready to follow John. And once John has baptized them, they are happy. John did not promise them anything. So their hearts, now that's another thing another should bear in mind. Their hearts cannot be disappointed. So from the time they got baptized by John till Jesus came and healed them, may have been five years, six years, seven years, twelve years. But you know the Bible says hope that is the fat does what? Makes the heart sick, makes the heart faint, discouraged. But they cannot be discouraged because it did not set their hope on that healing. They set their hope on righteousness. There's one that Ken Hagin said in one of his books. He said, this, this story, no, where he's, he preached about it in many of his books and his uh, teachings, audios. The story is long, okay? But this one thing I want to say. He said that, uh, uh, there's something I want to pick up from what he said. He said that a point came that when he, many experiences, he gave his life to Christ on his deathbed and he was saved, you know, washed by the blood and all of that. He said, after that, I used to praise myself to sleep every night. That I would thank God till I fall asleep. He said, just in case I died in my sleep, I want them to know I died happy. He said, I was sick, bedridden, could not move. He was on the bed. He said, for goodness sake, at least I was not going to go to hell. And that for him was satisfying. So every day when he wants to sleep, he starts singing and praising God until he falls asleep. Because he rightfully expected to die every night. See, he expected that this may be my last night. So I may not wake up in the morning. So I'm going to praise God till I fall asleep. So that when I, if I die in my sleep, when they find me in the morning, they will know I died happy. It was after that 
that thoughts began to drop in his mind that you don't have to die. I now took the Bible and began to read. It took months, months later, before he finally got healed. But what I want to bring out is that he said he got to a point he was just satisfied being born again. And that's what we need again. That's what God needs. He's calling for people who are just satisfied. You know, like I said, they were telling you that, how much, how much prayer did Japan pray? And they are developed. Please, oh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, your Lord and mine, don't talk that nonsense again. Though you have said it before, your sins are forgiven you. Say amen, because you said it before. <laughs> but don't say it again. If they did not pray, then they are not walking in righteousness. I hope you are getting my point. Any country that is not praying but is developing, then God has given up on them so that they don't have to pray. Listen, don't think development and prayer go hand in hand. Sometimes so you can pray some more. God withdraws the development. He said this is what they know they pray. And then to pray, the more they pray, it keeps the development away until they have prayed enough. Why? Because what you are calling development is not what Jesus came to do on the earth. Even though it's a good thing. Even though he will give it to you. Don't ever forget. Abraham was in a developed society and he walked out of it to obey the call of God. That is why many ministers have said it. That when they come to Africa, they see miracles. They don't see it in America. Why? They have good health care. When God blesses you, they think you are developed. You know, I keep on telling the story of Ebola. When Ebola came to Nigeria and we drove it away with the mercy of God. Remember the story? CNN wanted to report it. You know what CNN said? Because, you know, sometimes human beings are confounded by what is going on. Before I tell you what CNN, remind you what CNN said. I saw one the other day. I was so angry, I replied BBC. You know BBC? I sent them a reply. I just looked for their contact, contact, bam. I quickly wrote them. What is wrong with you people? Now, that as an aside, they said that Donald Trump, his approval rating in African countries, including Nigeria, is over 65%. When they do their polls, they find that about 65% of Nigerians approve of him. So, you know, it's surprising. He called us shithole country, remember that? He abused, people believe he's racist and all of that. But anytime they ask Nigerians, do you agree with what Donald Trump is doing? They find out that three, two-thirds of Nigerians agree. Two-thirds of Kenyans agree. Across Africa. So you know what they now wrote? You know, they would like to lie to us. That America gives aid to Nigeria. Were you aware of that until I told you now? <laughs> most Nigerians, I wrote for them, like I said, most Nigerians don't know what you're talking about. You send a few dollars for research and for fighting HIV. It concerns you. <laughs> The whole American 48 is not up to 2% of our, it's not up to 1% of our GDP. That's not, are you getting my point here? That when I saw it, I was so angry with them. I picked my, in the phone immediately and replied them. I wrote them a long reply. That please stop telling lies. The Africans approve of Donald Trump, not because he gives aid to anybody, but because basically we are conservative people. And we saw a president that's pushing our own standards of godliness. That's why we agree with him. Like I said, that's just an aside. <laughs> they would like to tell stories. Of course, when we, when we pushed them, um, Ebola back, when they reported the story, I shook my head. You know, 
it was hard to believe. Just like this Donald Trump story. They said that uh, it's because, you know, Nigeria has a good healthcare system. We have an infrastructural system that's standing. By the time they finished describing the things in Nigeria, I had to check. Say, did they say Nigeria? <laughs> because I was wondering which, which country these guys are talking about. I was, I was watching it on CNN. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What? Because there was no other explanation. Which explanation would they give? So they say why it ravaged Liberia and Sierra Leone and could not ravage Nigeria was that, you know, healthcare in Nigeria is, has a, an existing structure. <laughs> I said, eh? Now, what God do? See, as they collect your glory, will you let them go free of charge? You need to answer somebody. <laughs> the truth was that God had mercy on us. When we got on our knees and brethren gathered and said, Lord, the devastation will be too bad. Have mercy. And the Spirit pushed the thing back. And it manifested the way it manifested. God just arranged things. The federal government, the Lagos State government, suddenly they cooperated massively. And they, ah, I didn't know we were that efficient in contact tracing. So those who were sick, a few died. The rest recovered. Until a few weeks later, WHO said there's no Ebola in Nigeria. They said, how did that happen? said they had an existing health infrastructure. When coronavirus, this coronavirus has been wicked. I've been watching, you know, a news. When I watch something, you, you know, a cruise, cruise boat, a cruise ship had about 2,000 people. One man said it has turned to a cruise prison because, yeah, they locked it. The ship was left in the middle of the sea and everybody was told you can't leave your cabin. The cruise had become imprisonment. One ship tried four countries to dock. They said no. Finally, Cambodia said, just come here. And there's nobody sick on the ship. Oh, I forgot to tell you that part. Nobody is sick on the ship. There's no coronavirus. Why take chances? No. They went to four countries. Finally, Cambodia allowed them in a few hours ago. <laughs> Health infrastructure. It has killed over 1,000 people right now in China. If I'm making it, China was able to build a hospital in four days, and 1,000 people died in four days. All this noise they are making. Later, I'll, I'll teach about it again. God said, forget all this noise. You can gather, and I will scatter. People say, don't pray, don't pray. God said, don't pray, stay. Don't pray. Now, listen, <laughs> before you can pray, he said, except the Lord builds a house. They labor in vain that build it. So before you start building, please pray. Better pray. So except the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen are awake but in vain. Say so you looked for much, it came to little. The little that you brought in, I did blow upon it. Say so the one that came home with you, you put it into pockets, I have dug holes in the pockets. Brethren, please pray. Oh. Don't let anybody tell you that uh, Europe is not praying right now. But they developed. Sodom and Gomorrah too did not pray. And they also developed. And you know the rest of the story. And in case you are thinking of emigrating to Europe, I will not pray for you. Just know that. Now, bye-bye, we'll go tell you. Europe. What? Why do you think Brexit brexited? Or is it Britain exited? <laughs> Why do you think they exited? Europe. They ran away because of spiritual problems that's coming. And their name, eh? 
is Judah. The rest of Europe is Israel. God has given them over to Assyria. Thereby giving the younger sister. What do you call And go and check it. Europe is, um, anyway, the younger sister is called Great Britain. That's how God did with Israel. He first used Assyria to wipe out northern Israel. And he gave about 200 years, I've gone how many years after, and told Judah, I'm warning you people. I know what I'm telling you. You will know a prophet was in the midst of thee. That's what the Bible says. Just be watching. And I, I know what I'm saying. So if, if they say, okay, if you want to go to Euro, Euro for a, a week, two weeks, six months, programs like that, it's fine. But if they say, come, I emigrate to the place, say no. If an angel says, the Lord said, go. Tell the angel, can I see the Lord myself? That we need to talk about this one. The Lord now say, I, the Lord said, go. Say, as a missionary or as what? Or did I sin? If it is sin, let me repent here. <laughs> no, because God can tell you, go into your destruction. You know, it's in the Bible like that. <laughs> he said, to destruction, shall, to the one stated for destruction, to destruction, it shall go. So you have God. Is that what you are quoting for me? Or you are sending me on an errand? Because if it's destruction, I can pray here and beg you for forgiveness. And thou art a merciful God. We now say, no, it's not destruction. I want you to go there and preach a last gospel of repentance. They will kill you, but, I mean, <laughs> you will have done my will. <laughs> then you can now go. The Lord is good. I'm telling you the truth. But let me summarize what I'm going to say. Time is good. The point I'm making all of this is this. Listen to this. God is requiring people who love righteousness for the sake of righteousness. Who will pray, not because it brings development, but because the prayer is necessary for the will of God to be done on the earth. I hope you're getting my point. That's what God is looking for. God is looking for people that will do his will, his righteousness, not because of what they are going to gain personally. No. They just know it is right, and they will do it. And when they will have done it, they are satisfied in, we have done it. And they don't measure the pleasure of God in their lives by how materially you know, rewarding that righteousness was. So sometimes they will stay in a place. Like I said, um, Abraham was in a prosperous land. God said, come out. He came out. And he never entered such a land again. Never did. But let me just tell you simply. Is the reason why you're a free man, a free woman today. Because he left and obeyed God. That is the reason why you're a free man. That's why you're a free woman. Don't forget what God calls reward. We discussed it some time ago. Let me remind us of it again. A reward is not that personal addition to ourselves. A true Christian reward, a true godly reward, is what God births from your life. Did you hear what I said? The true reward is the knowledge of what God is using you for. That's the true reward. He said a seed, when he abides, when he's alive, how does it go again? When he's alive, he abides alone. But when he dies, he does what? It brings forth much more fruit. You understand? Much fruit. Now, that is what God calls a reward. What Jesus calls a reward is that I died and all of these people are free. I died. All of them are, they have their bondages broken. I died. Satan does not rule over them anymore. They can now have the righteousness of God operating in them. They can now take in the spirit of God and operate as sons of God on the earth. To him, that's reward. I hope you're getting my point here. That is reward. It is not what he gained personally. Never forget it. And what God is calling for, again, remember, is people who just appreciate this kind of thing. So that whether they get anything or not, if they give an offering, like one brother told me once, my money is working. And what did he mean by his money is working? 
He gave somebody a lead far away from here. And he heard the person listening to Pastor Banky. Are you getting my point? I said, ah, you know, he didn't tell her that I know him personally. And the lady was just telling him, ah, you need to listen to this man of God. You need to listen, you need to listen. She was just, you know, campaigning and preaching to him. He was just nodding his head. Amen, amen. Stopped where she wanted to stop. She went, she came down. Bye-bye. And he told himself, my money is working. What do you mean by my money is working? So the offering I give to Kingdom World Ministries, far away, somebody is listening to their messages. You, you understand my point? That's satisfaction. Let me tell you worldliness. This is worldliness. Praise God. Hallelujah. That day, it was a hot anointing service. And pastor said, anything you will give today, my God will multiply it within one week. That day, all I had was 10,000 naira. I said, let me prove God. And I went forward and I dropped it. Brethren, do you know within four days, one man that was owing me 100,000, he had paid it. I got a new job. They paid me 200,000 naira mobilization. And after that job, oh, that anointing upon that man is real. That is selfishness. What did I call it? You don't care what they did with the money or did not do with the money. As long as you got your own back. Multiplied. That's not reward. That's not what the Bible calls reward for believers. Joseph was not rewarded with big food. Joseph was rewarded with the ability to preserve his father's lineage. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? For all the sufferings he went through, what God gave him is that your father's children will not die. Your father's promise will not die. The promise I gave your father. Your generations will live. So he said to them, please, when you are living here, I know one day God will visit you and take you back to the land, the promise of our ancestors. Take my bones with you. That was his reward. We used to look at it like, ah, he was rewarded. What is the reward? Ah, a small boy, he came into Egypt. He was small. Let me let you know. You too, you are going to be big. And people are thinking that when I become big, I will buy a Bentley. When I become big, I will buy a Rolls Royce. No. That's not what God is doing. You know what he's doing? He's saying, and, and I think I, I would like to close with that. You will become big indeed, but not for the reasons you are thinking or your neighbors are thinking. You will become big indeed so that the problems of the society, you will start solving them. You know, somebody, I, I, I walked into where two teachers were talking yesterday, and one of them was mocking Dangote. That is the richest man, that's his problem. How is he affecting me? Immediately I told him to shut up. I said, do you know 51% of all the solid minerals income that your country earns, only him pays it? I said, do you know how many thousands of people he provides jobs for? After I counted three, four things for him, he said, I did not know. I said, then stop talking. Because to people like him, what is being rich? Plenty of money to eat. So he said, the man has never given me from it. So how do I care that he's the richest man in Africa? I said, you should care that he's going to stop your country from importing fuel. You should care that within a few years, he was going to be selling, like how much again? A year. Did he say he will be selling to federal government in U.S. dollars? He will be selling federal government $6 billion a year. Forex. I said, you should care. As I last year or two years ago, one-third of Nigeria's forest use was to buy refined products precious forest you could use for something else. 
So the guy said, sorry, sir, I did not know. I said, then stop, next time, stop talking. Ask. I want you to understand, because it's so important. I've been coming to it once in a while, but I've not gone into it in details. That we need to redefine prosperity. Because the kingdom of God that is coming, one of the things it will do is to put prosperity in the hands of the children of God. But he has been reluctant to do it for a while. Because they have not understood. They have not understood. In their minds, they are still thinking, my neighbors we know. They still want to park and block the road and nobody can pass. What's the name of that title again? Is it Agada Guachiruz or something like that? <laughs> Did I get it right? Yes. I, I got it right. Ooh, I got it right. <laughs> the man blocks the road, the road could, nobody can pass again. You know the truth? A lot of people are complaining. They are oppressors in their hearts. They just have not had the opportunity. There are those that God will bless. Here, you are listening to me. Whether physically or somewhere. You are listening to this. God will bless you at an extent, but he will not tell you, I don't want it to show on you at all for the, next five, for the first five, five years. For the first two years for some people. It won't show on you. Why not show on you? You won't change your shoe. You won't change your shirt. You won't change your car. Say, but sir, but my car is old. Say, repair it. I will bless you with a good engine. I will send you a, a, a fantastic, talented AC technician. When they finish repairing it, it will be charging like new. So I can't buy that my Jeep I've been dreaming of. He says, is that dream that's my problem? <laughs> I will have given it to you, but you've been dreaming of it. Finally, when he releases you to buy it, you won't want it. He will have given you so much satisfaction in that small old moto that you enter, your, you know, <laughs> you enter the Jeep for two days, then you go back and say, that my other car had the kind of feel, you know, when I'm going on the road, they have this feel. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that's making you feel like that. So the next thing you want to tell people that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. You mean it. Let me end my message here. God says, until I have raised enough people like that. You know what he said? My kingdom, the one I want to bring, cannot come. Remember what he told Jesus. He said, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. That is, I need to produce that kind of heart in you for my anointing to come down. Let me say to you one more time, God is looking for people. He has gone to church. Listen, listen. He has been to church. Tomorrow is Sunday now. He will come again. Go from one church to the other. Looking, checking their hearts. Put a the thermometer there. Hmm. Read it. 0.1 degrees. Not, not you. Just <laughs> Don't be afraid. Not you. He just go, he said, I want people who are hot. 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 People who will blow my mercury out of the tube. And he keeps checking and checking. He's gone around Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not been able to count ten. When he did not count ten, he released headsmen into the country. We are blaming the head of state. I'm, I'm, if you've not been around on Tuesday, please be coming because Tuesdays, I'm teaching, look, next time, I want to talk about the sin of the prophets. So we can pray probably on Tuesdays. <laughs> because if you see, when God began to release angels that were coming out from that throne, the second angel, riding the red horse, he was giving power to make men kill themselves. The first one was riding out to conquer. Conquering and to conquer. The next one came out with power to make men kill themselves. The next one came out, modern Bible says, with pestilence. When I read it again, I said, coronavirus, my father. God, 
Because when you see men killing themselves like that, next, next is pestilence. I said, no, no, no. We have to push this thing back at this point. And go and see it. It was because of what they worshipped. That's it. The sin was wrong worship. Worshipping gold, silver, the work of their hands, demons. So they still will not stop. And let Christians not think because they go to church, they are immune. They are not. You have to get your worship right. You have to get your worship right. You have to get your worship right. Otherwise, you are the reason why the country is in trouble. You have to get your worship right. Let's bow down our heads. Let's give it all thanks. You have to get your worship right. You have to say to the Lord, I love righteousness. It's a dedication you must make today. Lord, I love righteousness. That's all I want to live for, righteousness. To live in a manner that is pleasing to God. That's why we declare it all, all the time. I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects. To bear fruit in every good work and to increase in the knowledge of God. That's the, that's the purpose. That's the beginning. That's the end of it. It's not the means of getting money. For us, money comes in two levels. One, basic small sustenance, eat, drink, be merry, that's all. Second level is abundance, which is an anointing to do the purpose of God on the earth. But we're not serving God for what he's going to give. We're serving him because he's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be served. He's the reason. That is the reason why we live. There's one song like that. That is the reason why I live, to worship you. We have to get our worship right. We have to learn to love righteousness. Whether I lose or I win, I just want to know, did I do right? And when the witness of the word and the, of the spirit is you have done right, you go home rejoicing. So how, what did you make from me? Say, I didn't make something, but I learned and practiced and executed righteousness. And I know the father is pleased. Say to the Lord this evening, Lord, I love righteousness. Fill me with that spirit that loves righteousness. It's a prayer. You have a minute to pray that prayer. Lord, the spirit that loves righteousness. He said, for you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Say, Lord, anoint me afresh with that love for righteousness. Pour it into me again. Take a minute, pray from your heart. I want to serve for the love of serving God. I want to give for the love of giving. Oh Lord, I, I yield myself to you again. As the heart or the deer pants after the water broke, so my soul longs after you. So Lord, cause me to long after you. Deeply, cause me to long after you. Say, Lord, that's my prayer point for today. Cause me to long after you. Let's just lift up our voices and keep talking to the Lord. Let's dedicate ourselves to him afresh. And say, Lord, have your way.